0: Chapter eight of North Pole Voyages by Zaharia A. Mudge. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter eight Treaty Making. The stock of fresh provisions was now alarmingly low. To secure a fresh supply, Dr. Kane and Hans started with the dog team on a seal hunt. The doctor was armed with his Kentucky rifle and Hans with a harpoon and attached line. They carried a light Eskimo boat to secure the prey if shot. They expected to find seal after a ten miles run, but the ice was solid until they had travelled another hour. Now they entered upon an icy plain, smooth as the house floor. On the dogs galloped in fine spirits, seeming to anticipate the shout which soon came from Hans pussy mut, SEAL SEAL Just ahead were crowds of seals playing in the water. But the joy of the hunters was instantly turned into a chill of horror. The ice was bending under the weight of the sledge, unrolling in wavy swells before it, as if made of leather. To pause was certain death to dogs and men. The solid floe was a mile ahead hans shouted fiercely to his dogs and added the merciless crack of his whip to give speed to his team but the poor creatures were already terror-stricken and rushed forward like a steam car a profound silence followed as painful as the hush of the wind before the destructive tornado nothing more could be done the faithful dogs were doing their utmost to save themselves and their masters they passed through a scattered group of seals, which, breast high out of water, mocked them with their curious, complacent gaze. The rolling, crackling ice increased its din, and when, within fifty paces of the solid floe, the frightened dogs became dismayed, and they paused. In went the left runner and the leading dog, then followed the entire left-hand runner, in the next instant Dr. Kane, the sledge and dogs, were mixed up in the snow and water. Hans had stepped off upon ice, which had not yet given way, and was uttering in his broken English piteous moans, while he in vain reached forward to help his master. He was ordered to lay down, spread out his hands and feet, and draw himself to the floe by striking his knife into the ice. The doctor cut the leader's harness and let him scramble out, for he was crying touchingly and drowning his master by his caresses. Relieved of the dog, he tried the sledge, but it sank under him. He then paddled round the hole, endeavoring to mount the ice, but it gave way at every effort, thus enlarging the sphere of operation most uncomfortably and exhausting his strength hans in the meantime had reached solid footing and was on his knees praying incoherently in english an Eskimo, and at very crushing in of the ice which plunged his master afresh into the sea exclaimed god when the fatal crisis was just at hand deliverance came by a seeming accident how often does god deliver by such seeming accidents One of the dogs still remained attached to the sledge, and in struggling to clear himself, drew one of the runners broadside against the edge of the circle. It was the drowning man's last chance. He threw himself on his back, so as to lessen his weight, and placed the nape of his neck on the rim of the ice, opposite to, but not far from the sledge. He then drew his legs up slowly, and placed the ball of his moccasin foot against the runner, pressing cautiously and steadily, listening the while to the sound of the half-yielding ice against which the other runner rested, as to a note which proclaimed his sentence of life or death. The ice holding the sledge only faintly yielded, while he felt his wet fur jumper sliding up the surface. Now his shoulders are on, Now his whole body steadily ascends. He is safe. Hans rubbed his master with frantic earnestness until the flesh glowed again. The dogs were all saved, but the sledge, Eskimo boat, tent, guns, and snowshoes were all left frozen in to await a return trip. A run of twelve miles brought them, worn and weary, but full of gratitude to the brig. The fire was kindled, one of the few remaining birds cooked a warm welcome given so that the peril was forgotten except in the occasion it gave for increased love to the deliverer we have had no occasion to notice the eskimos since the escape from prison of young Miok. soon after dr hay's party left three natives came they had evidently noted the departure of half of the number of the strangers and came to learn the condition of those left behind. It was Dr. Kane's policy to conciliate them, while carrying toward them a steady, and when needed, as it was often, a restraining hand. These visitors were quartered in a tent in the hold. A copper lamp, a cooking basin, and a full supply of fat for fuel was given them. They ate, slept, awoke, ate and slept again, Dr. Kane left them eating at two o'clock in the morning when he retired to the cabin to sleep. They seemed soon after to be sleeping so soundly that the watch set over them also slept. In the morning there were no Eskimo on board. They had stolen the lamp, boiler and cooking pot used at their feast. To these they added the best dog, the only one not too weary from the late excursion to travel. Besides, finding some buffalo robes and an india-rubber cloth accidentally left on the floe, they took them along also. This would not do. The savages must be taught to fear as well as to respect and love the white man. Morton and Riley, two of the best walkers, were sent in hot pursuit. Reaching the hut at Anuatok, they found young Myok, with the wives of two absent occupants, the latter making themselves delightfully comfortable, having tailored already the stolen robes into garments worn on their backs. By searching, the cooking utensils and other articles stolen from the brig, but not missed, were found. The white officers of the law acted promptly, as became their dignity. They stripped the women of these stolen goods and tied them, They were then loaded with all the articles stolen, to which was added as much walrus meat of their own as would pay their jail fees. The three were then marched peremptorily back to the brig. Though it was thirty miles, they did not complain. Neither did their police guardians in walking the ties thirty. It was scarcely twenty-four hours after these thieves had left the brig, with their booty, before they were prisoners in the hold. A dreadful white man was placed over them as keeper, who never spoke to them except in words of terrifying reproof, and whose scowl exhibited a studied variety of threatening and satanic expressions. The women were deprived of the comfort of even Miok's company. He was dispatched to Metek, headman of Itah and others, with the message of a melodramatic tyrant to negotiate for the ransom for five long days the women sighed and cried and sung in solitary confinement though their appetites continued excellent at last the great metek and another eskimo notable arrived drawing quite a sledge-load of returned stolen goods now commenced the treaty-making there were big talks and a display on the part of Dr. Kane, of the splendors and resources of his capital, its arts and sciences, not forgetting the fire-death, whose terrific power so amazed the Edah dignitaries. On the part of the Eskimo there were many adjournments of the diplomatic conferences to eat and sleep. This was well for the explorers, no doubt, as plenty of sleep and a good dinner are very pacific, it is well known, in their influence, even on savages. In the final result, the Eskimo agreed not to steal, to bring fresh meat, to sell or lend dogs, to attend the white men when desired, and to show them where to find the game. On the part of Kaplunach, the white man, Dr. Kane promised not to visit the Inuit, Eskimo with death or sorcery, to shoot for them on the hunt to welcome them on board the ship, to give them presents of needles, pins, two kinds of knives, a hoop, three bits of hard wood, some kinds of fat, an all, and some sewing thread, to trade with them of these, and all other things they might want, for walrus and seal meat of the first quality. Dr. Kane sent Hans and Morton to Etah on the return of Metek, as his representatives, and this treaty was there ratified in a full assembly of its people. This treaty was really of much importance to the famishing, ice-bound, scurvy-smitten strangers. It was faithfully kept on the part of the natives, but it was believed that the example of the white man's prodigious power, given by Morton and Riley, in the tramp of sixty miles, in twenty-four hours, had quite as much to do with its faithful observance as any regard to their promise. They might not understand the binding nature of promises, however solemnly made, but they could comprehend the meaning of strong arms and swift feet. Having made peace with Itehites, Dr. Kane sent Emgari and Morton to the hut at Anuatuk on a like errand. They found there of men Miuk, Otuniyah, and Avatok, Steelbladder. bladder who were at first shy. The rogue, Miyok, suspected their visit might mean to him another arrest. Seeing it did not, all went merry as a marriage bell. The treaty was ratified by acclamation. End of chapter 8